Hello, I'm John Mercy and you're listening to the Banking Analyst Podcast. Log on to thebankinganalyst.com where I share my latest research on US banking stocks. You can also learn the fundamentals of the banking industry, including valuation, in the basics section of the website. Thanks for tuning in and without further ado, let me welcome you to this episode. In this episode, I'll talk about PNC Financial's results for the first quarter of 2020. The bank reported a profit of $745 million for the first quarter, roughly 40% lower compared to the last quarter as well as a quarter one year back. Just like its peers, the bottom line was battered by provisions in anticipation of loan losses due to COVID-19-related shutdowns. On the positive side, loans and deposits jumped thanks to the business customers drawing down their credit lines while net interest income was up 1% quarter-on-quarter. Cost was under control, a good thing given that the revenues are and will continue to be under pressure. Furthermore, capital levels are solid, and I expect PNC to continue paying dividends comfortably and could even restart share repurchases post-2021 even if the economic shutdown continues through the next year. On the negative side, the current valuations do not make me scream by. Let me go into the numbers in a bit more detail. Despite the lower rates, the bank surprisingly expanded net interest margins or NIM by 6 basis points quarter-on-quarter to 2.84%. This was driven by lower funding costs and higher securities yields, only partly offset by lower loan yields. I also believe that the higher loan-to-deposit ratio has further aided the margin uptake as loan growth outpaced interest-bearing deposit inflows. Just like other major US banks, PNC also recorded brisk loan growth as commercial borrowers drew down their lines of credit. Loan book grew 10% quarter-on-quarter, or $25 billion, of which commercial book jumped 19%, but retail loans inched up just 1%. Also, a large chunk of these loans made their way into the deposits with $17 billion of net inflows. However, PNC's deposit inflows fell short of the growth in loan book, meaning that they went to competitors. Others such as Bank of America, Wells Fargo, and US Bank Corp recorded deposit flows much higher than loan growth. Roughly 45% of the revenues of PNC comes from non-interest income, and that's a good thing usually. Non-interest income jumped 11% year-on-year thanks to corporate services and residential mortgages. Asset management income was lower due to BlackRock as well as the 2019 sale of a few businesses. The management expects the second quarter to witness 15-20% to fall in non-interest income due to lower mortgage servicing rights valuation and security gains that were elevated in the first quarter. Overall, for the full year 2020, the bank expects 5-10% to revenue decline. No surprises here. Expense control was good, falling 1% year-on-year, led by lower employee costs. Given the tough revenue environment, the management aims to trim costs further, estimating a cost decline in sync with revenues. PNC's cost dynamics fared much better than USB, which has been facing some trouble keeping costs under check. Banks' ability to rein in expenses assume much more significance in this low-rate, recession-stricken economic backdrop. Let's see how asset quality metrics have turned out. PNC reported $914 million of provisions towards loan losses, of which just over $700 million was towards reserve build. The accumulated provisions now stand at 1.5% of loan portfolio, 
lower than the 2% at its peer USB, mainly due to portfolio differences. PNC has less credit cards exposure. The management was forthright in its call with the analysts that the economy is now worse than it has been when it prepared its books and hence can expect more provisions in the second quarter. The company assumed a 2.3% drop in GDP for 2020 and a recovery to pre-recession P by the fourth quarter of 2021. Even in a severely adverse scenario, which the company defines as a peak-to-truck GDP decline of 14%, the management expects CE to one ratio to be 8.5% by the end of 2020. Note that this scenario is worse than the CCAR severely adverse scenario assumption of 8.5% peak-to-truck contraction. PNC's openness contrasted with the vague answers analysts got from U.S. Bank Corp's management when they inquired about the assumptions behind the first quarter's loan loss provisions. Let me turn to shareholder returns and regulatory capital. CET1 ratio, after fully facing in CECL impact, was strong at 9.2% at the end of the first quarter. In my view, PNC will be able to maintain its CET1 in the management target range of 8 to 8.5%, even if the economic fallout of COVID-19 continues through 2021. I'm assuming $2 billion of provisions in 2020 and another $1.5 billion in 2021 in that case. I should emphasize that PNC's capital levels are much stronger than its closest peer USB, which in my opinion could struggle a bit in maintaining the ratio within its target. On March 15th, all the banks including PNC halted share repurchases till the end of the second quarter. The bank had already bought back stocks worth $1.4 billion during the quarter until then. If the economic recovery does not happen until the second half of 2021, I expect no more share repurchases during 2020 and 2021. But I see the bank resuming buybacks in 2022 given the excess capital levels. The bank is in a position to continue paying dividends comfortably. Here are my thoughts on valuation. The stock is down almost a third from its peak now trading at 1.2 times my estimate of one year forward tangible book value per share. This compares to the historical average of 1.6 times. That may seem like undervaluation, but on a return on tangible equity approach, the stock seems fairly priced. I do not see the stock going back to the previous highs anytime soon and expect EPS to be back to 2019 levels only by 2023. Currently, my only buy calls are Wells Fargo and Bank of America in that order. Disclaimers. This podcast is aimed at informing listeners about my views on the stocks mentioned. Please use this as only one of the many sources you consider while making the investment decision. Kindly consult your financial advisor before taking buy-sell-hold decisions. I will not be liable for the investment actions taken based on this podcast. I own no positions in the stocks mentioned. I created this podcast myself and it expresses my own opinions. I am not receiving compensation for it. I have no business relationship with any company whose stock is mentioned in this podcast.